Other translations say, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul is, well, in many places in the Bible there are commands, but it's not often that the Bible says that we have an obligation. So Paul is obviously really emphasizing this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's a quotation from Psalm 69. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, he's got a real slew of quotations from the Old Testament here. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My brother told me about a newspaper article which was published last week, and this is the title of it in the next slide. The bad news is that there is no good news in the season of joy. And that was written in South Africa. We all know it's a lot worse here, don't we? And sometimes it seems like the echoes of bad news from 2019 have formed a requiem to a dying nation. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Even the jacaranda trees seem to be punch drunk and disorientated as they flower for a second time in the boiling heat of days that should really be cooled by December rain. And of course, the bad news can be soul-destroying when it murders our hope for something better. We can all relate to this. Adequate power, perhaps, to run a business, a sensible rate of inflation, I think we all long for that, affordable school fees, let alone health care, home security, safety on the roads, a reliable car that isn't rattled to bits by potholes, or a dependable water supply. What are we to do when there is no hope? Is it worth persevering when there is no hope? It isn't, is it? We all know this. But many of us haven't arrived at the conclusion that there is no hope in Zimbabwe yet. And so we channel more and more of our time, 
energy, resources, and money into making life bearable according to the standards and expectations that we have defined for ourselves, the standards and expectations that we value. We try to make our hopes certain, because there's always a degree of uncertainty and hope, isn't there? We express to one another how bad things are, and we wonder how we're gonna pay school fees, and yet somehow we manage to install solar systems worth thousands of US dollars, and we make a plan to provide for our kids' education. But there's a huge cost to all of this. There's a cost to our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual health. And to be honest, something has to give. And I'm delighted to say that so far, there are good indications at Harvest that what I'm gonna talk about today has not been compromised. And frankly, I just never cease to be amazed by this Harvest family of ours. I really find you guys, my brothers and sisters in Christ, hugely inspiring. However, my job as a pastor is to warn and exhort so that we will all make it across the finish line together. Not only get across the finish line, but to do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about, in the words of, of Paul in today's passage, the importance of building up this local church family. What tends to happen in times like these is that we invest our time and our energy and our resources in things that do not truly deliver. We hope that they will, but more than often, they don't. Or perhaps we discover that the goal that we were hoping to attain is unreachable because the goalposts keep moving. How many can relate to that? But in the process of trying to attain those goals and to reach those standards that we think are normal and that we are entitled to, we neglect God and we neglect his church. Instead of investing time and resources in building that which will last forever, we cut back in a sense and we start throwing good money after bad. And today what I'd like to argue is that building up others must not be neglected in times like these, even though it seems like a good strategy to withdraw, to pull back, to withhold in order to cope with the situation. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a look at today's passage and we're gonna learn two things. First of all, what we need to build up harvest and then second of all, why we need to build up harvest. And you'll see the connection that there is to hope as we go along. So first of all, let's have a look at what you need to build up harvest. Just a brief aside, today's passage is addressing the effect of squabbles between Jews and Gentile Christians about what is rightful to eat and what should not be eaten about festivals and holidays. And the effect of those squabbles was that it was tearing down rather than building up the church in Rome. And someone asks, well, what, is, what does that have to do with us today? How does it apply to what we're talking about? Well, in Paul's time, it was squabbles over food and drink which were compromising the health of the church. In our time, it's the pressure of the Zimbabwean situation that's tempting us to withdraw our time and our energy and our resources from harvest, which will also compromise the health and the growth of God's church here in our community and in Zimbabwe. 
So although the problems are different, the effects are the same, and so we can learn from what Paul has to say. So let's dive in. What do we need in order to build up harvest? The first thing that we need is the motivation of a good example. I'm not going to read that. I'll just leave it up there for you to read. We who are strong have an obligation. Now, what is an obligation? An obligation is something that, in a sense, we are obliged to do because of what somebody else has done for us. And we have an obligation to build up other harvesters. Why? Because that's exactly what Christ did for you when he was crucified. Christ did something for us. He paid a debt that we are never going to be able to pay back. And so we have an obligation to do certain things, not in order to earn our salvation and to put ourselves right with God, but as a response to the amazing sacrifice that Christ made to pay off our debt. The quote here is from Psalm 69, I mentioned it earlier, and this psalm records how King David had offended God and received God's discipline as a result. You know, God does discipline us. Just as a father disciplines children, a child that he loves, God disciplines us as well. But then to make matters worse, those people who hated God began persecuting David at the same time. So he was being disciplined by God, and on top of it, he was being persecuted by those who hated God. So he was experiencing a double whammy, and you can see it if you go and read Psalm 69. So Paul sees this, and he sees David as a type or a foreshadow of Jesus. Why is that? Well, Jesus took your offense, he took my offense, and he was punished by God in our place on the cross. And at the same time, on top of that, he attracted the persecution of those who hated God. Why did Jesus do this? Paul says here he did it so that we could be built up. Can we now say to the one who paid our debt to God, a debt that we could never pay, sorry, but building up harvest is just too much to ask in circumstances like these? I don't think we can. Application. In times like these, folks, we need to reflect on the example of Christ because we need the motivation of a good example. We are Christ followers. <laughs> which means we need to follow the example of Christ. If Christ did all of that in order to make it possible for us to be built up, then how much more so do we need to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ? What else do we need? Second thing that we need is the encouragement of good teaching. You can see it there in verse four. Paul obviously viewed the Psalms as a means of instruction to put the needs of others to be built up above pleasing your own needs. And I hope that Bible reading has become um, a daily diet for you. I hope that it hasn't been edged out of your daily routine because we need the instruction of the Bible as a daily diet. Why? What is the purpose of the teaching that we find in Scripture? Can you see what it is there at the end of verse 4? So that we might have hope. Everything, everything in Zimbabwe today is conspiring against hope. It's trying to murder any tidbit of hope that we might have in our lives. 
And it's hope that we need in order to keep going in Zimbabwe. And not just any hope, it's a living hope. And we're gonna talk more about that later. So, for good instruction to bear that precious fruit of hope, which we need so much in Zimbabwe today, and which we find in reading the Bible, it needs to be combined with two things. Do you see them there? Endurance and encouragement. The one is supplied by you. We will become hopeful people if we persevere, but the other is supplied by the Bible itself because it's the Bible that encourages us. And so when it comes to building up harvest, when it comes to serving here, when it comes to attending services, when it comes to giving, we're gonna need endurance to do that. And we need the encouragement that we can find in the Bible. So we need to find what the living hope is that we need to hold on to. And then we need to fuel our endurance by encouragement, encouragement, encouragement that we find in the Bible and the encouragement that we pass on to one another. And I can tell you one thing of great value today and I'll tell you it for free. If you are discouraged and without hope, nobody is gonna be built up by you. If we as a church are discouraged and without hope, what are the chances that people are gonna be drawn to the gospel through us? There's gonna be no chance. Hopelessness and discouragement are the very antithesis of the gospel. And that's why we need to be overflowing with them. So we need the motivation of a good example. We need the hope and encouragement of good teaching. And then those are not enough in themselves. You know in a motor car you've got an engine which provides a lot of power, but you're only gonna engage that power and send it to the wheels if you let out the clutch. You put it into gear, but if you don't let out the clutch, you're not gonna start moving. And the clutch that we need to activate today and let out is the clutch of trust. May the God of hope fill you, uh, next slide, with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you see what's required in order to overflow with hope? Trust. Trust in God. John Piper calls faith, hope, he calls hope, faith in the future tense. John Piper calls hope, faith in the future tense. So what does he mean by that? Well, I can have faith that God did something in the past. For example, we read in the Bible that God created the heavens and the earth. So I can have faith to believe that. I can have faith in something that's happening in the present. So the Bible says that God sustains all things through the power of his word. If I believe that, um, have, I have faith in that. But if it's something that's gonna happen in the future, like the second coming of Christ, then that faith on, in something that's gonna come in the future becomes a hope. So that's why John Piper says that faith is hope in the future tense. Now the biblical understanding of hope is very different to the secular one and we need to get this today. So here are some examples, let's have a look on the next slide, of the way we use the word hope in everyday language. Uh, first one uh, is I hope the Zimbabwean economy thrives again one day. Second one, our hope is that the Zimbabwean government will begin serving the people with integrity and love. Third one, God, good rains in the Barotse floodplains are our only hope for better Zessa. Can you see what's common to all of those 
usages of hope. <laughs> All of those hopes are uncertain, aren't they? The biblical definition of hope is very different because a hope in the Bible is certain. It's not associated with uncertainty. All of those things are associated with uncertainty. We hope that they'll happen, but we're not sure. Basically, what we're saying in those sentences is we're not sure whether our economy will ever thrive again. So biblical hope is faith in a promise of God's. And a promise isn't a promise if we've already received it. Once we've received it, it's no longer a promise. And a promise is something that we will receive in the future, or so we hope. So a hope is faith in a promise of God. Can you see why, therefore, to have hope, we must have trust, but not trust in just anything. We need to have trust in God. The reason why biblical hopes are certain is because they are founded on the promises of a God who is utterly dependable. Let me say that again. Biblical hopes are certain because they are founded on the promises of a God who is utterly dependable. But in order to have that hope, we need to let out the clutch of trust. So we need a good example for motivation. We need good teaching for hope and encouragement. We need trust to let out the clutch so that we can start moving on building up people around us. And then, this is a big, a big one. All of this is useless, folks, unless we have an engine. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at that in the next slide. You know, up until now, there's been no difference between what I've been saying and that which any number of self-help motivational gurus might have said on the same occasion. Self-help gurus believe in the powers of man. They're constantly saying to people, you can do it, we can do it, the company can do it. But if you're looking within yourself for the power to build up harvest, I hope God brings you to the point of despair quickly. Because if you are depending on yourself and you think that somehow you're impressing God in the process of doing that, you're just standing on the edge of a treacherous precipice. But fortunately, and this is such a good thing, God has a way of using Zimbabwe to beat the autonomy and the pride and the self-reliance out of us. Didn't you love the words of that song that we sang earlier? Weak made strong in the Savior's love. God's strength is perfected in our weakness. And I often stand up here and at, at other times during the week and I feel as if I have infinite strength. And it's not because I've got big arms. I've got quite small skinny arms to be honest and it's not because I have emotional strength either the guys who are close to me in my focus group know that I have a lot of issues and struggles that I've dealt with in life that, I've, that God has brought healing from it's not any of those things that give me that sense of infinite strength it's God's strength being perfected in me and so folks you will only experience joy and peace if the God of hope fills you with them. Do you see it there? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How does he do it? I'll tell you how he does it. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us 
The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God within the walls of our life. Why does that fill us with joy and peace? Well, what do we know about the fruit of the Spirit? What are the first three fruit? Love, joy, peace. You will only experience the strength to do what I'm talking about today if you have been adopted into God's family, if you've been born again, if you've had His Spirit deposited inside of you, if you have been filled with joy and peace. And furthermore, you will only succeed in your quest by the power of the Spirit. There's this place at the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus commands his followers to go out into the world and to start building up God's family, what we're talking about today. It's his last instruction as he leaves to go to heaven. Of significance, though, is the fact that he identifies their need to be clothed with power if they're to succeed. So he says, wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power. And of course, he was referring to the day of Pentecost when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit and equipped with power for the task of growing God's family. So what do we need to build others up? We need a good example for motivation. I think there's another slide. The motivation of a good example. We need good teaching from the Bible for hope and encouragement. Keep reading your Bibles. Keep meeting in life groups. Keep associating with other Christians. Trust in order to let out the clutch so that we can get moving on building up the people around us. And then fourthly, the power of the Holy Spirit. But why should we make an effort to build other people up, to grow God's family? What is the purpose of all this? And how does it relate to having hope in Zimbabwe today? So I'm going to have a look at three purposes. The first purpose, number one is to glorify God. Just have a look there at verse five. God gives us endurance and encouragement which we will need in abundance as we follow Christ's example of building other people up. And we've already talked about how the scriptures are a source of encouragement, that they fuel our endurance. But what is the purpose of building other people up? It's there in verse six. So that with one mind and voice we may glorify God. The purpose of harvest is to glorify God by showing his son to be the only living hope. If we are not full of hope, then how are people around us gonna be pointed to the source of our hope, which is the only living hope, Jesus Christ? And you know, brothers and sisters, if we neglect the Lord's family, we are withholding glory from God, and in the process, we will become ineffective in our mission to hold out the only living hope to Zimbabweans in 2020. Why would anyone want to be adopted into a weak, hopeless family without any prospects or future? Just may it never be the case for us here at Harvest, and I'm confident that it won't be the case. Instead, as we build a strong and vibrant church, a fitting bride for Christ, people will be drawn in to discover their only hope in life and in death. And they're going to join in Harvest's chorus of praise to God. And this forms a bridge to the next point. We build the church in order to glorify God, showing Him to be the most desirable treasure in all of creation. And this brings 
praise to God. It brings praise to God. If you look there in verse 7, it brings the lost into the family where they too can praise God. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So following verse 7, Paul quotes several Old Testament verses to show that God chose the Jews so that they would praise him among the Gentile nations for the sole purpose of attracting the Gentiles into that same celebration of praise. And God didn't choose the Jews alone. He didn't send Jesus as the Messiah to the Jews so that only they could be included in his living hope. Verse 8 says that Christ became a servant of the Jews so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Folks, that's you and us. Therefore, verse 9, the Jews were to praise God among the Gentiles so that, you can see it in verse 10 and 11, the Gentiles and all people would join in the praise. We see that in verse 12, finding a living hope in the root of Jesse, namely Jesus Christ. The threat of our culture, folks, is to define faith as a personal matter or perhaps a family matter. I've been chosen, a bit like the Jewish nation was, to be God's special child. I have a living hope, so as long as I have a living hope, and so do my children or my immediate family, my church family is maybe of secondary importance. But this is simply not the teaching of Scripture. Our responsibility is to our church family and to those who are without hope beyond our church family. We must strive for a healthy church family, a place where God is glorified in order to bring praise to God. That's why Bill Hybels says, and he's famous for saying this, the local church is the hope of the world. This local church is the hope of Zimbabwe. And you know, as we are doing that, as we are seeking to fulfill God's mission, as we are aligning our priorities with God's priorities, our children are gonna join along with us. But if we hold back and say, no, I, you know, we, we, we don't really have the resources to be involved in church, or maybe it would be better for us to stay at home on Sunday and just have some chill time alone with ourselves and the family, and it happens once, and then it's twice a month, and then maybe you're only coming to church once a month. This is not the way to show your children that your priorities are aligned to God's priorities. God's priority is not you as an individual. God's priority is us, the bride of Christ. It's this bride that he will present spotless before the Father one day. And we get to be involved in this amazing, amazing mission of holding out hope to people around us, getting them to come in and join the chorus of praise. So, the last purpose of, the, of a strong church is to overflow with hope. And we come back again to verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. If you will seek to build up harvest in 2020, you will overflow with hope in a nation that has no hope. If we will seek to build up harvest in 2020, we will overflow with hope in a nation that has no hope. Furthermore, we as a community of light 
will overflow with hope. Am I saying that we'll overflow with hope for a recovered economy or reliable electricity? No. We need to learn to differentiate between everyday uncertain hopes and the certain hopes that are founded on the precious promises of a dependable, powerful, unchangeable God. Does that mean that we're going to stop having hope for a more comfortable and predictable life? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it does mean that we will order our hopes. We will keep on We'll keep our living hope at the top and allow that hope to guide and control our priorities. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our energy, the way we spend our resources. What is our living hope? It is the hope that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the best definitely is yet to be. It is the hope that if you and I, it is the hope that if you and I can build a church which truly overflows with hope, we will bring others into our family of hope and get to share the rest of eternity with them. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust him in 2020 so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the only hope that our family and our friends have, and we need to hold it out. The way we're gonna do that is by building a good, strong church. Shall we pray? Father God, we've had so many promises held out to us in this nation, and yet they weren't your promises and so they weren't dependable. Father, we, we want your wisdom in order to be able to differentiate between what are dead hopes and, and what are real hopes that are built on the foundation of your promises. We know that your promises are dependable, that they are certain because they come from you and you are dependable and you are certain and you don't change. And so, Father, help us to get our priorities right this year. Help us to make sure that our overarching hope is always one to be children that please you, to be children that hold out the promise of hope, who, who come with the good, the good news that the best is yet to be. The best is always yet to be. And we have hope both in life and in death. I hope that continues beyond the grave. Um, and, our oh Lord, we just pray that you would grip us with this hope, but that we would be overflowing with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.